fucking deep. I like it. These guys are jerks. Fucking deep. Bless you, boys. Young men expressing themselves. Unbelievable. Fucking deep. Put it in deep. Sends it in on goal. That was a fucking run underneath. Put it in deep. You know, getting pucks deep, putting the puck deep. Put pucks in deep. He's chipping pucks, he's getting pucks deep. Just put the puck deep. Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Get pucks deep, pucks in deep. Puck deep, pucks deep. Keep getting pucks deep. So we decided to ignore the other pucks in deep. Yeah, we decided screw it. We can have two pucks in deep podcasts. I think it's pretty clear that their socks and yours is better. They're going down. Fuck them. Our podcast is better. We're starting a podcast war. Put it in deep. Deep. Put it in deep. Now everybody watch this. Watch this. Put it in deep. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Pucks in Deep podcast. Josh Coleman, Adam Lesko. And Lesko, I got to apologize. I got to let this ride. I'm too excited. Man, it's building up the hype. Hype it up. That grippy tune on loop, which will manually fade itself away because this is the first time that we've used the entire length of the intro to actually bring us into the Pucks and D podcast episode 53. And if you tuned in for the entire length of that intro, you're wondering what's going on. There's a lot of storylines both on and off the ice for us to get to this evening. Let's go. Welcome back to the farmhouse, my friend. Good to see you. Nothing's changed since you last left. It feels like just yesterday the weeks are flowing together. And when you're getting guests like Luca Caputi, former <laughs> Leaf, on your show with a check mark on Twitter, that's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting day for the Bucks of Deep podcast. I've uh, been looking forward to this episode for a while. Uh, you know, it was a little bit of a pipe dream going back to last year, but uh, hey. Gotta give you credit, man. Making things happen, bringing bringing on some uh, some pretty high quality figures to the Pucks and Deep family here, and I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I mean, thank you for starters, but I don't really think it's uh, any really hard work by me or anything. It's just I have some lucky connections in that sense, and in this sense, it's uh, a big shout out and a and a big thank you to a friend of the show and good friend of mine, Matt Clancy who is a top-notch realtor in the Kingston area. So if you're in the Kingston area and you're looking to buy or sell a home, make sure you give Matt Clancy a call. The guy's a beaut. And uh, he roomed with uh, Caputi. Or Caputi had an apartment, I think, at Clancy's place. I'm not exactly sure what it was. But, um, you know, they drank a few beverages together and watched a bunch of Leaf games. So that's kind of how that started. Hey, man, tell Luca that I have a dumbass podcast that's eight (laughs) episodes old and I'd like to have him on. (laughs) You know, so but since then, uh, you know, we have had some guests on. We've, I'm, I'm really proud to, you know, be able to say that we've had the likes of Jake Hahn and Tyler Matteras on. These guys talk about hockey for a living, and now we're moving on to former pros and and soon to be uh, Sportsnet uh, contributors and and Leaf radio show hosts and stuff. So we're really moving on up, bro. And uh, you know, again, once again, drinking out of our beautiful pucks and deep mugs. 
uh, more on the way in terms of swag and stuff. So I think we're hitting a bit of a, uh, an intersection, Lesko. We're driving straight through and we're moving on up for the Pucks and Deep podcast. I think things are looking pretty good, I'd say. Feeling pretty good about it. And uh, yeah, we've got an exciting slate of guests coming up later on in the show. Of course, Luca Caputi, former Maple Leaf, former Pittsburgh Penguins, current associate coach with the Kingston Frontenacs of the OHL. Uh, speaking of swag, uh, we got an interesting um, package in the mail, didn't we? Yeah, it was a suspicious package. Suspicious. It came from the States, so <laughs> came it from, had to be suspicious. came from California. Uh, yeah, so if you were wondering what the second part of that intro was all about, those guys that you heard, they have a podcast called Pucks in Deep, and it's based out That of- came after ours. It did come after so, ours. But allegedly, they claim the game came before. Well, the game did come before. Okay. That, that it, like for that, us, but the podcast fact. after us. That's correct. Yeah. So the the basically the game you're talking about is what we received. It is a card game, and to explain it to our listeners a little bit, it's kind of like cards versus humanity or apples to apples. If you played those games where you've got a bunch of funny things in your hand and you have to put one down that matches the the card on the table. So um, we we took a peek through some of the cards, and I'm not going to lie, let's go. Uh, when I initially saw that the game existed, I thought, oh, this is like a cute idea, like some hockey terms and stuff, but like, oh no, 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 it's savage. It is savage. <laughs> like they they, t- uh, they took the bar basically of where Cards Against Humanity sit and like, and made sure they they were in that ballpark. Yeah, they're on, they're up in that level. Like, but look, hockey, I had a good I had a good laugh, but all hockey related. Yeah, cards, hockey related. So. so works really well with your with your hockey buddies when you're around drinking. You don't even have to like play the game and spend an hour playing. You can just have the cards around and you know give each other ten cards and pick a black pick a black card and and everyone submit your answers. It's pretty funny, man. It's jokes. So uh, thanks to the Pucks and D podcast number two. Uh, out in uh, San Jose, or at least California. It sounds like they're San Jose fans, but you want me to run you down a little bit on how this all came out or what? Yeah, yeah. Tell okay. me the story because you just basically messed me with last week and saying, yeah, these guys are, are beaking us on their podcast. <laughs> yeah, and that's right. it's funny because I stumbled across like their show recently and I was like, fuck, I swear to God, when we started this, there was no other pucks in deep. There wasn't, no. And now there's two. There's another like college hockey-based one. but Yeah, that one looks but brand, we'll start, brand new. We'll start a rivalry with them another day, but yeah. <laughs> right now we're on the card game rivalry. <laughs> okay, so first and foremost, dating back to when we were looking for episode or um, uh, the name for the po- podcast title, I think let's go. We had a couple of options, eh? Around the boards, uh, we had a couple of different things. Riding the we're, pine, yeah, riding the pine, and and then we settled on pucks in deep. And as I was researching to make sure that we weren't, you know, copying another name, uh, it was discovered that, and this is just too funny, that, that um, former guest on the show and current friend of the show, Tyler Mataraz, had had a podcast with another uh, serious XM employee at that time called pucks in deep but they only released like two episodes maybe it just it just it just didn't happen maybe right. one of them got a promotion or you know what mm-hmm. i mean it they they never amounted to anything so it was funny because before we even had tyler on this show i had messaged him and said hey man like we're thinking of doing pucks in deep do you mind if i use the name i see you, you guys folded up and he's like oh yeah man he's like that was just a failed experiment you know so there we were you're right only pucks in deep name now, as I was researching, though, I did see the card game. I'm not going to lie. I saw the card game online, and I was like, to be honest with you, I thought it was affiliated with Hockey Night in Canada because of the sweet logo that they have. It reminds me very much of 
uh, the Hockey Night in Canada symbol. So I just kind of thought it was associated with that. And I just, I didn't think anything of it. Plus it's a board game and we're, we're going to be a podcast, right? So I don't think there's any lines being crossed there. But um, recently when I was trying to show people how to find our podcast, they were typing in Pucks and Deep and they were like, this one? And I was like, no, that <laughs> that's another one. So boom, now the, the bells went off. I, I listened to a few episodes. The guys actually do a pretty interesting idea. I think they're in San Jose, like I mentioned, but I can't be sure. What they do is they come in and they record their podcast right before they play their men's league or their pickup. That's why it's in a in a rink. It's in a rink. I noticed yeah. that when I was listening. Yeah, it's in a rink. Yeah. I like the background rink noise. It's a it's a really good idea. It's it can be a bit much from time to time. Actually, on the boys' most recent episode where they were chirping us, um, there was like music and yeah, shit in the yeah. background, and they they were like, "I can't even hear you." So it's a pretty funny dynamic. It actually comes across sounding pretty good. So the boys are are listening, I'm sure now, and uh, I like what I hear. So make sure you uh, you head on over and and check those guys out because we are starting a bit of a podcast war and I don't know about you, Lesko, but I'm okay with it being just a fun thing, you know, to, to make sure that we can pump up our numbers for, well, I was a little bit bothered at first though. Like I was a little thrown off cause it was like, who, who looks it up knowingly sees that there's one called pucks and deep. And then just says, ah, fuck it. I'm doing it anyway. Well, it comes it's like you're, you're in a, you're inviting controversy. Are you not? That's true. And what was funny, dude, was back when I first uh, heard about the podcast, there was um, there was no opportunity for me to contact them. Like they didn't have Twitter. Right. They weren't on Facebook. So how'd you get in co- touch with them? Well, they're two episodes ago, and they release. It looks like once every three to four weeks they release. Right. So their their recent episode from two episodes ago actually included an email address uh, in the episode details. So as soon as I saw the email address, I was like, man, I remember I wanted to reach out and just give them a little bit of, you know, a little razzin right. or whatever. So I reached out and I, you know, I'm not going to say what I everything I said, but I was just like, blah, blah, blah. You stole our title. Ha ha. It's all fun games anyway. Cheers. And he hit me back up and said, actually, I created the Pucks in Deep card game, you know, back in 2016. So technically <laughs> you stole my name and and that back and forth didn't go across too too long he graciously was like uh you know I'll, I'll send you guys a copy of the game and everything and then um and then they ended up talking about it so he messaged me back and said hey actually we just recorded our episode and and, and we talked about this little exchange so he's like if you know maybe maybe you guys drop us a line at the same time too and have this discussion about how this came about and it's gonna be a pretty good relationship i think let's go because I offered to send out a couple of pucks and deep mugs to those guys as well. And speaking of the mugs, there's a couple other listeners that actually want to get in on that and are willing to buy some mugs from us. So we really do got to get moving on the swag. But um, as far as some of the bombs that they dropped that I clipped uh, for the intro there, let's go. Those guys are bringing the heat. And I don't know, like they say that ours sucks and theirs is clearly better, but I don't <laughs> remember seeing any episodes featuring an NHL player. No, I guess not. <laughs> Good. That's all right. That, you know, we'll give you a little free advertising, piggyback off each other here, a little friendly rivalry. I don't mind it, right? Okay. I don't mind it, I guess. I come around on it. And and let me and let I mean, you know, knowing that we're clearly the superior podcast, clearly. being in this position makes it a lot easier to have a friendly rivalry. It is. It's, it is. <laughs> it's kind of like being a being a, a fan of the Leafs and then being a fan of the Sens. You know, while Everybody the, needs someone to aspire to be and look up to, you know. <laughs> That's exactly what I was getting at. <laughs> exactly what I was getting at. And let's be clear here. The biggest uptick in numbers is going to be for the Pucks and D podcast bracket two 
out in Sacramento. It ain't going to be the Pucks and Deep podcast, which, by the way, is based in Pembroke, Ontario. Pembroke, Ontario, proudly, not Toronto. Now, one of these guys got us beat, uh, I'll admit. They're in fucking California. Oh. And we're sitting here waist shoveling. deep in snow, yeah. shoveling. Shoveling Just snow. shoveling. Yeah, that's a good point. But I think that might be the only area where they've got us beat, Lesko. Yeah, more than likely. And, well... Some pretty good weed down there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's pretty solid. I, I got to give them the credit where credit's due there. All right, that's fair. Yeah, so we, uh, we're we very thankful for the game, boys. Can't um, wait to play it. It looks pretty sick. Yeah, we're, we're probably going to have, uh, maybe not this episode because we got a ton of shit to get to, but I think maybe next episode we can look forward to uh, a couple of fun rounds of the uh, Pucks in Deep card game, and we'll we'll have a few laughs that way for sure. So I've been waiting to take on this topic for a while. Okay. And it's something that's bothered me for ever since I got a satellite dish. Oh, I see where which, you're going. Which this occurred in like, I don't know, probably when I was like 12. Okay. You know, when I first got more than five channels, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and you could watch Leaf games without fucking with the rabbit ears and Put all that. Put it on channel three. Yeah, really dating myself here. But growing up in rural areas, a little bit different as well. There's not... You know, uh, no cable, all yeah. that shit, no internet at the time. And the fake dishes, remember the fake dishes with the cards? Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you'd scan them, get like American channels yeah. and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember nice. that. Um, but anyway, regional blackouts. Okay. Fuck. You finally get a satellite dish. You're like, I got TSN, Sportsnet, where every channel that has the fucking rights to Maple Leaf games. And yet, Majority of them that are regional broadcasts, so Toronto region broadcasts, I guess, are blacked out here. My understanding was always because we were an Ottawa region. And if Ottawa played, they want us to watch Ottawa or some shit. And I heard it was a, a network rule and it was a league rule. Now, nowadays, if you notice when Rogers uh, blocks you out, it deflects right to the league. It says because of league policy or whatever. Yep. But you've been encountering a lot of issues with this lately because I've kind of stop bitching about it other than like i won't pay for nhl package or sportsnet subscription or any of that shit because why would i pay for it when the only games i want to watch are blocked out but you were bringing it up recently because you were encountering some issues about it well i do all of what you said and then i even go above and beyond and i get the nhl live subscriptions which allow allows me to watch it on my xbox or my phone or my apple tv or i i believe even the new smart tvs now uh you know, have the ability to get that app and I'm blacked out on both sides. Like if I go on my satellite dish to Sportsnet Ontario, it says due to league restrictions, this game cannot be viewed in your area. So then I go, Oh, okay. I have to watch it on my NHL live subscription. Cause that's why you get NHL live. You get NHL live, you pay for it, but you get it so that you can watch those out-of-market games. Well, that's how they advertise it to you. They're like, watch anything you want. Oh, wait, not Calgary. Not Winnipeg tonight because it's regional. Oh, and not the team that you actually like, Toronto. If I were a fan of the Colorado Avalanche, and we have several Colorado Avalanche fans, shout out Pipes. What's up, buddy? One of our most loyal listeners from day one, by the way. Haven't shouted him out in a while. I'm jealous of Pipes because he watches Colorado games. All he has to do is pay for one thing, one thing. And it's the NHL live subscription. One thing he'll write $129 plus tax. And he can watch 82 
Colorado Avalanche games. And then come the playoffs, he might have to fucking, you know, put 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 sports packages on his cable. But what I'm saying is you have to you have to, you know, willingly go and pay for Sportsnet and pay for TSN and you can't just pay for certain channels. You have to get all of them. Right. So you have to get your Sportsnets and your TSNs and yeah, okay, great. You already get CBC. And they still get to air the national feeds on Saturday. So great. You get a fucking game every Saturday. No, I want them all. So I already have to pay for those three things. Now I have to go get my NHL live subscription only to find out that at least once a week, I have to stream the game illegally after all that money, after all that money. And it's really, dude, it's not even really about the money. Like it is, I'm not rolling in money, but it's more about the, the thought that, there at this point in time, it seems that there's nothing that I can do to ensure that I can watch every Toronto Maple Leaf game. And that's what goes back to what I said earlier and, and the reason why I'll never pay for that, because the whole the whole concept of it is like, oh, you watch all the games, as many games as you want. It's like, no, I can't. I know I can't, and that's why I don't do it. And like this might be um a local issue. Like I, I know lots of Leaf fans have been dealing with this over the years, I know people used to lie and say their satellites were at their cottages. That yeah. were like in southern, like south of here. Yeah, yeah. Just in the leaf, far enough south to be in the leaf region. Yeah. Um, Add the receiver. Yeah, yeah. Basically adding a receiver, but leaving it at your house as yeah. a way of circumventing. I'm pretty sure my family did that at one oh, point. Oh yeah, I've been, I've been back in that. the day. Yeah. And see, right now, like, I'm piggybacking on my parents' bell account, like through the Xbox, got the apps. And occasionally games are blocked out, but they never seem to be on TSN. No, TSN is always TSN good. TSN seems always legit. Why? And then, but the only time they're blocked out and I can't get something else, then it's straight to, to old Reddit NHL streams. So you know what I'm thinking, dude? Is And those things, those illegal streams will never die until two things happen. They get rid of all regional restrictions and blackouts because they're complete bullshit. And two, they make it more affordable. I think the reason why TSN still plays more often than not is because Rogers is the one that got the deal. Right. So they might be uh, bound prob- to different restrictions. Well, specifically regarding the subcontract, the subcontract, which is TSN's regional contract. Right. We need to get an expert on this. If anybody knows anything more about this, or you got stories about this happening to you, send us a tweet, send us a, uh, a note there on this, because for something that, that is, impeded my ability to watch games with the exception of my time living in North Bay because I was in a Toronto region. Right. It's 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 haunted me here in the Ottawa Valley for several years. And instead of figuring out, I mean, I'm just like, fuck it, I'll watch it illegally. Yeah. I'm not even going to bother navigating it or finding out why that this is the way it is. But if you're in the NHL, how fucking backwards is this? I mean, you can't be choosing or deciding who should watch what at what time you should just be happy that people are watching your fucking product. Yeah, do you not want numbers? You out of the four major sports, you are the lowest of of ratings and viewing and all that shit. Do they not want numbers? So why in the holy mother of fuck are they not just why would they restrict any viewing of I don't any know. hockey game? Well, here's my thing. It I, doesn't make sense. I always are wondered, you business or no? What else doesn't make sense to me, Lesko, is I always understood like earlier in my life. I understood that regional blackouts were were happening because you should be going to the game. That's even more ridiculous. But I don't know if it is, though. 
you should you should you should go a watch finite the game. amount of people could go to the game yeah right? true i don't know i don't know man it doesn't make any sense to me just quickly before we move on did i ever actually tell you about my kojiko issue with with leaf games i think this was before our before our yeah, time you had mentioned something about like having uh having issues specifically with kojiko not just not just the networks right I had all the sports and I bought their super sports pack, which actually included everything, which was pretty cool. It was actually a, a nice price. It was NCAA, like football, basketball, NFL, uh, baseball, NBA. Like it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Everything. I had everything. And it was like a, you know, they give you a fucking promo price. So for the first year, it was just the sickest price ever. I got all this, all this, uh, you know, all these subscriptions. Leaf games on. I go to it, whatever station, I can't remember, who cares? I go to the TSN or, or Sportsnet, right? No, can't watch it. So I go, okay, I go up to the fucking sports pack, HD, Toronto versus whatever, Columbus, let's say, put it on, no. So I'm immediately like, oh man, this, there's no way. There's no way. So I fucking try it a couple different times. I'm all pissed off. I get on the fucking horn. I'm on the horn. I'm talking to them. The guy goes, uh, try channel 238, 238. Okay, Toronto Maple Leafs, Columbus Blue Jackets, standard definition. I can barely see the puck. <laughs> That's all you got. It's on though, but it's on though, right? The point is, the point oh, is, it's on. So he goes. So, so he goes. So he goes. Okay, so you have it in standard def, but you don't have it in high def. And I went back to the high def channel. Correct. I said I can't watch it on this channel, but I can watch it on standard definition. He's got the balls to say to me, "Well, then just watch it in standard definition." <laughs> I'm like, bro. What fucking year is it? I go, bro. Like, you, you. I, I don't know that. What you just said is not in your fucking manual. And that was manual. probably at the time too when you paid more to have the high definition channels. Maybe because I remember when that shit first came out in like the late twenty, in the late two thousands or whatever. Well, no, for me this would only be like 2015, 2016. Oh yeah, yeah, it was recent. I remember when that stuff when I first no, got recent. HD. You had to like pay extra for HD fucking receiver and package. But and my all point that. of the whole story is that I was able to access the standard definition version of the game, but I could not access the HD version. And after like literally days of being on the phone and getting callbacks, I was escalated to like an expert technician who literally told me that it is the giant, like the actual giant physical cable that carries the HD channel. It was the cable's fault. No, it doesn't come this way. It directs away at Cornwall, and that was due to the regional restrictions. So due to the regional restrictions, the cable directs away from Pembroke in the Ottawa Valley and along the seaboard or something like that. And then I didn't really understand what he was saying to me, but he did. He explained it, and I understood now. He said, listen, back when we first installed this cable, which is a long fucking time ago, that's the standard definition cable now. So it's been there forever. So you get that. But the new HD... Oh, they didn't have HD like infrastructure built here. Exactly. Oh, so when that's they, fucked up. When they laid down the HD... So you're paying for shit they didn't even have infrastructure for. Yeah. Because it just got fleeced. So I had... So why the fuck are they selling something you can't even watch? They didn't realize the problem. That's ridiculous. They didn't realize the problem. So they owed you money. Well, I just canceled. Yeah, damn right you fucking did. Yeah. My last note I'm going to say on this is, and I probably mentioned it before on the show, is that I'm really amazed at how far along some of these illegal streamers have come. Because I used to watch all my games that way back when I was poor. Yeah. And... Uh, Man, I watched some feeds that were just so choppy on my computer screen. Oh, horrible. And like hard on your eyes, like worse than standard <laughs> def. And it's like now, there's been times where I've had shitty quality stream through Roger's app and, and through 
through TSN's app and I've yeah. gone to the illegal ones and they're better quality at 720p. So it's like good on these guys, but how the fuck does some kid in his basement outstream a, a multi-billion dollar media company? I'll never understand. Technology. I guess. You don't have to be rich to understand it. No, but you have to be smarter than both of us. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, that's for <laughs> that's for goddamn sure. All right, where are we headed next, man? You want to pick that? You want to pick a bone with me on fucking Martina? Oh uh, yeah, we were we were gonna get in some leaf stuff, eh? State well, we got Leafs. well, we got the player poll. I definitely want to get to the player poll. Yeah, well, it's been uh, obviously a bit of a boring week right now for for yeah, Maple Leaf fans, week. and I think for hockey fans in general. I mean, there's not a lot of hockey going on. Most teams seem to be on their bye weeks or getting into their bye weeks at some point. And uh, yeah, just before the break, um, the Maple Leafs game against New Jersey, I believe it was, started off with a instrumental playing the Canadian national anthem and the American anthem. I was really confused. I'm like pretty used to Martina Ortiz Louise putting on a hell of a performance, get me fired up and everyone fired up for the game. So immediately I take to Twitter and I'm like, where's Martina? And of course there's 20,000 other people. Where's Martina? Where's Martina? So she had actually tweeted that turns out she got hired by a television show. And had to fly out to Calgary to start filming it for the next upcoming season, season four, season five, this show called Wyona Earp. It's some kind of sci-fi show. Um, not really my cup of tea, but I guess she's aspiring like show business, like not just singer, okay. like singer, actor, all yeah. this kind of stuff. Good so, for her. And I, I mean, I'm sure a gig like that is a little bit bigger than singing the anthem at a hockey game overall and oh for the, sure the big picture of things for sure so, it is and she's young man she's like oh yeah 16 or 17 oh, no, she's 18? 18 now 18 yeah now. so okay. congratulations to martina that's pretty impressive but she she did allude to potentially being back at some point but just not knowing when okay and if it'll be sporadic because i'm sure this opportunity for her is gonna potentially lead to others okay yeah for sure 100 percent. so we got into it about this, I think last season of the show off air, and we never brought it to our listeners quite yet, because I will often say that not only do we have the best anthem singer in the league, she might be the best one that I've I've heard in my lifetime, at least for the Maple Leafs. Yeah, okay. And I'm glad that they have this regular anthem singer. And so apparently, what happened back when Shannon took over the team, 2015, 2016. Um, they did like a full on like talent search, like tryouts, the whole deal. As you should. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And you think about the viewership and national broadcast and all that kind of stuff. Well, and you think about the implications of like some of the most important games in franchise history could be and are expected to happen soon, right? Some of our biggest games in franchise history are expected to happen relatively soon so yeah and Shani a did a search, lot yeah a talent like he search changed is important. everything about this organization which some people fail to remember not just the on ice product not just the management and scouting and all that you know everything from the in arena experience to anthem singers to the jerseys right so anyway i'm kind of wondering if they're going to have like a like another talent search to potentially replace her or find a backup because i noticed they had uh, in their most recent game they had that instrumental once again replace her well, I I was so I'm wondering: Do they replace her outright? Do they find a, a like a backup? Replace her outright? I hope not. I hope I she's do. back. I hope they replace. So her. what is? I want to get to the bottom of your beef. What is your deal with with Martina? I only, is, it's the rendition of the anthem, right? I only have one beef. Okay, she has an incredible voice, one of the best I've ever heard. Like 
She's never off key. And that's difficult to do in a live performance all the time. And let's be honest, dude, the anthems, okay, American and Canadian or abroad, whatever, but I don't know the other ones, but they're not necessarily like singing songs, if you know what I'm getting at. Like it's a, it's more of just like a, like a, like a melody kind of, you know, it's not like a, like a song with a chorus and a verse where you, you, you know, you have to pick it up during this part in the chorus and whatever. My beef with Martina has nothing to do with her ability to sing. It's the way she chooses to sing the anthem. And specifically, the very end of the anthem. So you don't like that flair that she puts on it? I hate it. And then... I hate you it. You hate it. I hate it. Like, 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 what is so bad? Is it the inflection of her voice that she uses? Okay. We're getting right into it. Oh, I will break it down for me because you're, and you're a musical dude. Yeah. Like you sing, you play guitar and all that shit. So tell me, I want to understand it because this might be your all time pucks and deep worst take. take. Worst take? Worst take. Fuck you. So <laughs> what it is for me is, and I'm talking about when I've been to sporting events Pretty much every time I go to sporting events, I sing along with the anthem. If I'm in the crowd as a fan, I do sing along. American and Canadian, I sing along. That's weird. No, it's not. Tons yeah, it of people, is. Tons of people sing, sing along with both anthems. I sing along with both, yeah. No, but tons of people don't sing along to both anthems. Well, I like the American anthem better than ours. All right. Not, well, there is your worst take no, 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 on the fucking show. No, 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 but not show. in terms of like the words and shit. It just, it's a better, it's a better song. It's a right. better, I find it to be. A little a, more boisterous. Yeah, it's a little, yeah. yeah Anyways, yeah. Um, who cares about that? Basically for me, when I've been there singing the Canadian anthem, it's the end that is the best fucking part because- Everyone collectively goes for the yeah, right. you know, like it's amazing. Everyone holds that fucking note and away right. we go. With Martina, she goes whatever the fuck she does. She goes for the like. So you don't like it because you can't do it because you did it pretty good right there. Oh, I can do it. Come on, don't 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 don't. <laughs> but not do like that her. Garbage. Not so, like her. Of course. So you not, don't like it because it throws the crowd off. I think so. I do. I I really do. And I hear it every every home game. I hear it. But doesn't I, it like? I hear the crowd in the background yelling, and I hear her going. Oh, yeah, because they can't. The average person in the crowd can't do that. Like the average gonna... person shouldn't be singing it like that. It's not yours yeah. to change. It's not her anthem to change. Yeah, but change. she's not changing the anthem. She's just putting flair on it. I guess it's not like she rewrote the thing. No, I'm not blaming her for rewriting it. But and I mean, I'm not gonna fucking accuse her of creative whatever it's called, <laughs> fucking creative theft or bullshit. Yeah, you're allowed to do flair. And and it happens at different points. There's actually a point in the anthem earlier, Lesko. I can't remember what it is. Fuck, I wish I would have listened to it quickly so I could call back to it. Who cares? She does some flair earlier, and I yep. like that. Right. She does something earlier, and I'm like, oh, it's right before the part where the anthem starts to get real good. Like right before, like when everyone's like, oh man, like it, it's getting, it's getting you fired up here. She does something there and I like that a lot. Right. But then the way she ends it, I think is really, really bad. Wow. I think it's bad. See like that, I think that's what captivated me about her rendition of the anthem in the first place was that little bit of, oh, like that, oh, this gets my attention. Like it's, it's just a little bit different. Like, I know people can separate themselves from other anthem singers based on their voices, but, well, like, I, that actually, like, really grabbed my attention and was, like, fuck And good honor, I guess, for showcasing her talents without, you know, 
it's not like I said, she's not screwing with the melody or anything of the song. Just like I said, putting some flair on it, singing it a different way. Now, this, this is great because it kind of shows you how hardcore some of us Maple Leaf fans actually are that we could spend this much time breaking down the anthem singer well, and not the on ice product. Well, it's a travesty that I think this way. Everyone disagrees with me. I'm alone on an island on this. Yeah, it's, it's just you You like a church anthem, a nice traditional, you can follow all the notes, they're simple. Like the way you used to sing it in school every morning. Yeah, but I mean, you make me sound like a boring person. Like I'm okay with flair. It just, I think the you're marriage. The Don, you're Don Cherry when it comes to the anthem. Yeah, you're fine. probably the guy who was mad when they changed the words. No, I don't give a shit about that. No, but the 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 marriage between the singer of the anthem and the fans, who really, at the end of the day, let's be honest, the anthem is for the fans. It's to get everyone yeah. ready to go. Yeah, we can say that. And. I think you made a pretty decent point, but it's also a telling point. You said when she first came in, you heard that flare at the end, and that's what brought you in. It's well, different. Let, but let me tell you this, dude. One of the reasons why I think you heard it and you were able to be drawn in by it was because when she started singing the anthem for us, nobody fucking cared. No one cared. The team was not good. Right. And no one really gave a rat's ass. Now, and I've said this to I've said this to you recently on this show. Now, when you look in the hundred level, you see a lot more blue and white than you ever have before. And I think you see more jerseys in general because there's players worth buying jerseys. You yeah, know what I mean, like no, we didn't I, have that. For, we didn't have that forever. Yeah, I. While I agree you know? with you, while I, I think that's part of it. But while I agree with you, what I'm talking about is I don't think there are suits. I don't think there are as many suits as before. Those suits are now selling their tickets to make a $600 profit right. and sell them to massive savage Leaf fans like you and me that can scrounge together the coin and wear our jerseys there. And you know what those fans do? Let's go. They sing the anthem. And there's a lot of corporate. Uh, corporate seasons there too, so perhaps they're passing them off to more fans, passionate fans who actually want to go. Whereas before they probably didn't, because I think there was a period of time, and I remember hearing from a couple different sources in Toronto that there was a time where it was hard to give those fucking things away, even though they were worth so goddamn much. It's like people were just sick and tired of Leafs bullshit. Yeah. So just to wrap it all full circle, what I I hear our fans singing the anthem more nowadays than I did, you know, two, three seasons ago. Right. And I think that that plays a little bit more into my argument of the marriage between the singer and the fans. Because all I'm imagining is a Game 7 Stanley Cup at home or whatever. Well, Martina better be back for such a thing as that. I'm just saying. some. some, They're going to bring in the big guns. Some incredibly, incredibly important moment for the franchise. And I want to hear the crowd singing their thunderous anthem to get me fired the fuck up and i don't want to hear that garbage at the fucking end well it's too bad i mean so the fans go ahead and sing it whatever they want whatever way they want she is going to lead the way though true she's going to lead the way yeah that's true so congratulations martina we hope to see you back on the ice with the maple leafs very soon um and if you're on twitter there uh give it to josh tell him how wrong he is well, I would I would welcome it. And like I told you, man, I always preface my bitching by saying that she is a, an incredible At least singer. you can acknowledge incredible. she has the voice of an angel. Oh, my so. God. She is an absolute 10 in terms of a voice. A, a perfect 10 voice. Like, 
man oh man i i can't stress that enough but i just i can't get i can't get on board with that ending now you might be saving yourself there a little bit uh do we want to stick with the leafs get right in the state of leafs here yeah sure okay so you know much different than a couple of weeks back as three weeks back now when we came with the christmas break fuck we were riding high we were feeling good feeling comfortable we felt like the leafs have returned to their their place or the place we expected them to be right top three in the division Pushing for Boston and Tampa. I had us winning the cup. Couple more weeks go by. We go on a bit of a skid. Lose a couple games and a big one to Florida Panthers. <sighs> now, the Leafs are on their bye week right now. So not only did they go into their bye week on a skid, now they're losing a bit of just time in terms of the standing games played. Well, they're losing ground. But Columbus is winning hockey games. Tampa Bay continues to win. Florida's winning hockey games. And uh, Philadelphia, the Metro strong. is also winning hockey games, and yes, the Metro's being strong collectively. Yeah. Uh, teams like New York Islanders are putting more distance between them and the Maple Leafs. So now we find ourselves out of a wild card spot right now. We're three points back of Columbus and Philadelphia for the final spot. Four points back of Florida and five points back of Tampa Bay. Boy, does that Florida game ever look fucking critical now? And how? And now that the boys have a week to sit there and look at the schedule. And how much more critical have the three remaining games against the Panthers become? Absolutely. And and you can even look at the games against Ottawa and Montreal. There's a lot of divisional matchups. Uh, the way that the NHL has now structured the schedule, most of the divisional matchups and conference matchups are later in the season. It's, yes, when it matters most. I know that two points are two points all the time, but as everyone knows, it's called crunch time for a reason when the playoffs are coming up. But here's the crazy thing to think of, Lesko, and and I said crazy for a reason because it sounds crazy, but it's true. Those three games, as of today, because they have not been played yet, we haven't put pen to paper on scores or summaries or anything. Right now, that's a 12-point swing, potentially. So we are not out of it until we can't see them anymore in the standings. And if if that point gets upon us, Lesko, then we're done. Right, and and I'm not, you know, hitting the panic button or anything no, no. like that. I'm just making the point that, you know, whereas they may have looked comfortable coming out of Christmas and, and after, you know, going on a bit of a heater, they've come back down to earth a little bit while their opponents have have gotten hot. Um, each one of those teams that I just mentioned uh, have been winning a lot of hockey games. Uh, just Florida on their own, they're on a six-game winning streak right now. Uh Previous to that, they were five points back at Toronto, beat Toronto in amongst that streak, and now they sit four points ahead. So for the Maple Leafs, this is going to be a grind. We're going to be in the muck of the playoff battle this year. It's not going to be cozy just waiting for playoffs. So, you know, thinking back to last year when we complained a little bit about how things weren't necessarily interesting because we weren't in these playoff fights we knew where we're going to be where the seating was going to set up and who we're going to play oh we got what we wish this is going to be fucking this is going to be a race to the finish be careful what you wish for and i know everyone's opinion changes when you know all of a sudden the standings change and they're out of a playoff spot and yada 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 i I still you know they're not going to fall out of it by any means and should remain competitive and hopefully in a spot uh once they get back and hopefully get going again but we talked about this coming into this season there's been a lot of improvement, not just in their division, but in the Eastern Conference. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Florida because they were one of those teams I, we circled at the beginning of the year and said, here's a team with a ton of offensive firepower. No shortage of it, right? 
Yeah, of course. But address a couple of their biggest issues. And there's two things that you have to point to, and it's the addition of Joel Quenville behind the bench, legendary coach, obviously, for the Hawks for like a decade. Right. And then bringing in Bobrovsky, who has been subhuman when it comes to numbers this year. He's not really been the Bobrovsky that we've known for, for his, his tenure in the NHL. He's sitting about a .898 right now. Playing better as of Playing late. Playing better as of late, and I think that's all they really need. I mean, this is a team much like the Maple Leafs that can put up goals on you. So if you can get a, some saves, which the Leafs have not been getting lately, yeah, you can win some hockey games. Yeah, and it just goes to show you how quickly the points can pile up either for or against you based on the strength of your goaltending alone. I mean, there's teams out there that have a one-two, one-two punch. There's other teams that ride their goalie through thick and thin. But at the end of the day... Whatever gets you to the dance. And at this point in time, with the Panthers seeing a resurgence of play from Bobrovsky, they were able to you know, keep their heads above water with their offensive play during the terrible streak for Bobrovsky. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Leafs were the opposite. We were able to, quote unquote, keep our heads above water. Riding Freddie. Riding Freddie. Yeah. When we were you know, not scoring any goals under Babcock. Now, since it seems to have flipped a little bit, so I'm not sure if I'm ready to just say Freddie needs rest. That seems to be everyone's easy explanation is that Freddie needs rest. But realistically, I'd like to see some some detailed statistics that are broken down by pre-Sheldon and you know after Babcock. Uh, yeah, we've seen positive Fred, impacts on Fred. the change in terms of the team and their overall play and from most metrics. But, but individually, but not for getting Fred. right, not getting the saves that we were getting before. I mean, I think it's uh, I can't remember what Myrtle tweeted. It was something like going back to mid December or something. Anderson's numbers have been below average. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, but and, then and, in the early part they were well above. And right, right. He was like, in the conversation for a Vesna, even oh, though like you know? had been. I think there was a point in time on this show where like Freddie is the MVP right now for yeah. the Maple Leafs. Yeah, and here's hoping that a little rest and everything could you know, help him bounce back. But interesting, interestingly enough, uh, his performances coming off rest so far this year have been horrible. Horrible. It's almost like he has to be in that groove. And, he, and you know, like he volunteered to play that game where, where otherwise he normally would have been sat. It's like he wants to be in that groove and he wants to keep playing. But yet everyone's like, oh, if he hits the 60-game mark, he's going to fall off a cliff. Or, you know, that's been the problem in the playoffs the last couple of years, yada, yada, yada. Sample size is small, obviously, in terms of playoff series with the guy, but yeah, there might well, be a point to be made for. There's an argument to be made for either side because when these goalies are in their prime, too, fuck, I'm sure they feel like nothing can stop them. Right, and they're young and they're in good shape. I mean, they're not super young, but they're in good shape, and the the longevity is there. Uh, they certainly don't play fucking seventy plus starts, Marty Broder style, or anything like that anymore. But, yeah, Marty wasn't even in shape. <laughs> oh, he was a shape. <laughs> he was a shape, all right, but it wasn't in shape. <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah, as far as Freddie's concerned, it's it's an interesting one, dude, because like you say, I mean, maybe he's the guy that thrives on being in there. And I think it's a little unfair when people say that Freddie is a game seven choker, you know, because and, and a lot of people I've heard say, he played two fucking games. Um, he sevens. said no. He had Anaheim. Oh right, one was the one in Anaheim. The, that was really but it bad. was bad. Yeah, and everyone yeah, says bad. everyone says that's why Anaheim got rid yeah, of him. And they're so just, wrong. Like yeah, you don't get rid of a goalie. They, on they one got thing. rid of him because they had John John Gibson. Gibson yeah. That's why. And even still, you talk to um, oh man, the goalie guru Kevin Woolley, Kevin Woodley, Kevin Woodley from ESPN. He's on Sirius all the time. They call him the goalie guru. He still maintains 
that Anaheim made the wrong choice. Now, that's total hindsight, and you'll never know. You'll never truly know because Anaheim's not a super great team right now. And I don't know if you can just switch, you know, uh, Freddie and, and John Gibson and, and all of a sudden the Leafs Different are amazing. results, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying any of that bullshit. I'm just saying that's what a guy that, you know, covered the team and, and, and looks at goalies specifically, he maintained that they should have held on to Freddie Anderson. So you got you to gotta take that with some weight. Let's go. Like, that's a that's a pretty credible person out there that, that believes that uh, it wasn't such an easy decision. Yet, yet if you talk to any anyone that doesn't like the Leafs, which is so many people, they will all say, oh yeah, Anaheim got rid of Freddie because he can't handle game sevens. No. Well, what if we what if we won game six like we should have yeah. last year? We wouldn't have had a game seven. He would have had rest before round two. And then if we get blown up in round two and he has a 4.3 goals against average, then you are right. Yeah, those are just people coming at Leaf fans are coming at you because in that situation, they traded Freddie because he was an expendable asset. They had John Gibson uh, Anderson had phenomenal numbers with the Ducks, and he was on a he was an expiring UFA, and they didn't have the cap space to sign him. Right, it was a smart trade for them at the time because it was a surplus asset. They got a fucking first round pick out of him, first true. and second. So yeah, actually, smart true, yeah. move. I guess to put a bow on this, my biggest kind of takeaway, I think, for, from the teams so far and where we're at. I mean, we have a good enough sample size with the team under Keith. I know that we're a little banged up and things are happening on the fly, um, but the team is is still young. I, I understand. You know, today in Twitter society, everybody wants to fucking overreact about everything, and 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 you know, two two three losses in a row is the end of the fucking world. And now all of a sudden, Columbus is the best team, and we're terrible. Right? You know, they're still a young team. They're still learning how to be competitive and consistent. And I I really thought the most telling thing that that Sheldon pointed out after the last game that abysmal effort against the Hawks, which I'm sure if any of you watched it. You know, I'm assuming most people tuned it out pretty early. Yeah, but was he said we looked like an immature team? Immature or showed that we were an immature team. Perfect word and really damning. You know, like it's it's a it's a no beating around the bush type thing. Like, yeah, it. This is like, hey, like this is this team isn't where it needs to be mentally or on the ice. Yeah, and I like how blunt he was about it. How forthcoming. You're not going to sugarcoat anything. You're going to say exactly what's on your mind. And what was exactly on his mind in that scenario was that the team was immature. And I think that's great. I think it's a good motivation, um, you know, word to, to, to use for your team. Because I don't think any, uh, you know, man. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to be called that under any circumstances. Under any circumstances. Exactly. So I hope it really resonated with the boys and, and gave them something to chew on. Because Chicago, Saturday night huge game they they're they need a nice win coming into the break original six match matchup Kane and Taves they weren't ready whatsoever no and that's not the first time that's happened this year that's happened a couple of times where there's big games Florida was another one we mentioned earlier big Saturday night games nowhere to be found yeah and I used it's to, unacceptable and I used to bitch hard about that being a coaching factor and I still believe that and that, throw back to Babs he, I'm pretty sure this is a Babs quote you shouldn't need any extra motivation to get up for some of these games. Yeah, true. You know? But it is a team. You shouldn't have to kick these guys in the arses for these types of hockey games. Yeah, but it is a team, right? It's a unit. It's a unit Absolutely. I'm not of- I'm not singling them out. I'm just saying as a team here. And I think and I think Keith made that made that clear when he's like team, immature team. Yeah. Right? Not just these guys or those guys or the young guys or the rookies. We're talking as a unit right now. We are not 
conducting ourselves in a manner that's consistent with an elite hockey team in the NHL. So for me, for me, it's the on the fly. You talked about it. I think you even said on the fly. And two things that you said in your in your little you know monologue there was on the fly and learning. So I, I, while I'm in no position and in no way, shape, or form am I writing this season off or anything, but I guess what I'm getting at is it's kind of just like a spin the wheel season. Spin the wheel and 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 see what happens. You know, there's 20 spots on the wheel. 14 of them are missed the playoffs. You know, I'm just saying, right? Like it's it's almost just like we'll kind of see what happens when it's fucking over. And the reason for that is because of this mid-season mid-season atmosphere dynamic team identity mm-hmm. shift. It's still happening. It's, it's still, still in the happening. Works. And like I understand that they set the bar high for themselves. Expectations is high in the fan base and it's probably one of the reasons why this fan base has always been hypercritical, but even more so, more so now. But if we take a realistic look at where this team is in its growth cycle, you look at a team like Chicago, a team like Boston, you know, a team like Washington. They got vets. They got people who have been there. Yeah. Go look, look at their rosters from 10 years ago, and there are players that have been on the core of that team for 10 fucking years. Yeah. Okay, don't forget that... You could still be one of the best players in the NHL talent-wise and have you know a wonderful team on paper like the Maple Leafs do, but you can't buy experience. No, you can't. And it, that always seems It's an like, intangible. I know. Yeah, I know. But this shit goes a long way, just not just in the, in the playoffs, but in the room, in the atmosphere, for, uh, for, you know, as from a leadership standpoint. Okay? These are all things that factor into a, any team sport. And I think that's what does create, I mean, if you're a Leaf fan, you have to be a little bit concerned uh, in terms of the salary cap. You know, we're going to have salary cap issues. We're not going to be able to hang on to guys for 10 years. That's not the way anymore. Right? There's a new... You hope that you can, you know, combining entry level with, you know, a six or seven year deal, and then hopefully maybe a a deal after that. But I I don't think it's as easy to get it done on paper as it used to be. No, definitely not, because there's less methods of circumvention there's more turnover now guys want to go back to the buffet table a little bit sooner unless they're superstars then they want to get paid but if they want to get paid for long term they're taking you to the fucking cleaners right because in eight years that cleaner deal is going to look good but it doesn't help us now no so that's that that's going to be a real concerning thing and i'm i'm nervously looking forward so anxiously i'm anxiously uh anticipating you know how Kyle Dubas is going to navigate these waters in terms of the salary cap and, and giving us some longevity and keeping some guys around for years and years to come. Um, you know, you think of a guy like Naz Kadri, like, you know, yeah, the trade was great. We like Barry. I do personally like Barry. I I'd like to see him stick around. I would, I know that he gets a lot of flack and everything, but I think there's a player in there that can be really, really uh, effective for us. But, you know, let's, let's pretend that that didn't happen. Would we not like to see a guy like a Naz Kadri be that 33, 35-year-old, 36 retire as a Maple Leaf? Like, that'd be nice to see. I don't know if we're going to get that outside of some of our top, top core. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. It's too, it's too hard to say. And, and we don't even know what the new CBA is going to look like and how that dynamic is going to actually affect player salaries and new deals and, and contracts over the long term. So aren't you excited to talk about that stuff? No, not our one summer, fucking bit in our summer pod. No, we're going to be a bachelor podcast at that point. 
Oh, speaking of which, I, Kirsty and I watched the first episode of last season. So there's a season ongoing right now. Right. You're watching last season? We're watching last. Han- Hannah Brown? Who? She's the Bachelorette? No, no, no. It's or are you the watching bachelor. the old Bachelor? We're watching the old Bachelor. Okay. With the Virgin. Right. Oh, yeah, the Virgin. The Virgin. Every yeah. time he's on the screen, I'm like, Virgin! Yeah, sure, sure, bud. <laughs> Fucking. Anyway, so we the reason why we did that is so that we can binge it. You know, watch right. the whole season and then and then, you know, whether we make it two, three, four, eight episodes in and be like, this is dumb. I feel like if we're eight episodes in, we're obviously finishing it. But the good news here for the Bachelor fans out there that would appreciate us at least having a bit of a conversation about it from time to time. We did watch the first episode of the last season of The Bachelor and it was interesting enough to keep us on. So our next uh, our next sit down and throw something on will be uh will be the bachelor for best the, of for, luck with that wait till everyone future. starts turning on the waterworks and all that fun stuff yeah that's true eh? yeah yeah but at that yeah but if you're watching it like i would be and like i feel like a lot of people are probably watching it with their significant other it is a good opportunity for you to be terrible human beings behind the screen <laughs> in the comfort of your own home with no one else around. You can be terrible human oh, beings. Oh, I'm throwing shade. You're throwing I'm just shade. overhearing it from the kitchen and I'm like, <laughs> I've got commentary. We were so horrible. Like when they were first, when they were first introducing the girls and they were like, hi, I'm Laura. And me and my, me and Kirsten are both like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Before she even says You're out. Yeah, before she even says anything. It's just like, hi, I'm Brittany. Nope. <laughs> you can tell when they have a shtick too, like they got a catchphrase or something. Like you're a grown ass person with a catchphrase, you're out. Yeah. Like if you need a shtick and if that's what got you on the show, then fine, but you're not gonna last fucking two weeks on this show. So the one agreement that uh, well, I said this is a, an agreement with Kiersey. I don't know if she agrees or not, but my agreement was that during the time while the episode is on, I am talking like I'm the bachelor and your job is to talk like you're a bachelorette. We're not talking to each other as future husband and wife. Oh, you're just critiquing and yeah. So like scoping, you know, like when the girl comes up and I'm like, Oh man, she's definitely getting a fucking rose. And Kirstie would be like, why? And I'd be like, look at, look at those tits. You know, like <laughs> she's got those things. Just be straight. Up she's got it. those things out, you know? And she's like, oh, babe. And I'm like, I'm the bachelor. Like I'm a virgin. Like I can't wait to sleep with all 22 of these women over the course of the next two weeks and then pick one of them to marry them and then divorce them in two years. Two years? Well, whatever it is. Fuck, most of them don't make it that long. Really? Well, but they showed, a good portion of them They showed anyway. on the on the show a bunch of former Oh, yeah, they, got, they that... got some success stories, believe it or not. Dude, one of them. I wonder if they still get paid like for every year that they stay together. Maybe, but one of them looked 100% like they are not on board with each other oh yeah oh the body language was like way off they weren't even like really i don't know i'm not gonna get into it keeping it together for an appearance yeah (laughs) kirstie and i were like they're they're being they're being paid to be there Uh, as soon as 100 if they're making any show appearances they're being paid as soon as this is over they're going right to the divorce lawyers yeah they're on their way down (laughs) to city hall right now (laughs) exactly let's get this shit annulled so anyway yeah we'll have a little bit more on that so all the podcasts or all our fucking bachelor Listeners can calm their tits. We're uh, we're gonna give it a go, or I'm gonna give it a go. Yeah, I don't know. Can't commit to anything. Okay, I'll that's... just I'll, I get the odd bits and pieces there when the wife's watching. All right, that's fair. Okay, 
What are we saying? You want to wrap up and get Caputi going on here or what? Yeah, it's about that time. How I far think are so. we in right now? How uh, deep are we? Well, we're pucks deep. Yeah, how deep are the pucks? 55 pucks. 55 pucks deep. Did you hear Gritty punch a kid? Oh my god. Yeah, he punched a kid in so the back. So some loser dad saying he like went to see Grady at some fucking public appearance and he said he said Grady punched his kid in the back like quote unquote as hard as he could. Mm, really? Which is probably questionable. I mean, come on, really? Like these mascot people deal with a lot of children. They're not just going to lose it on a child, are they? And also, side note, I watched like a an intermission video of some like kids little race going on at the Flyers barn and Gritty was going around smashing kids. Smashing <laughs> open, them. Open ice hits. Open ice hitting kids. So like, <laughs> I think this is part of his deal, right? Oh, it is. And he pies people in the face. Have you seen him pie people in the fucking face? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, he does not let up. Like, he pies them fucking hard. So, I don't know. I think it's fake news. You said it was fake news. I think you're right. I think mean, this dad's fake news. He's looking for attention or money from the Flyers. I don't think Gritty has any money. He's even on pockets. <laughs> fuck <laughs> alright well on that note hang around for a couple of seconds we're going to hit a quick fiver get the uh, phone call teed up with former Leaf Luca Caputi here on the Pucks and D podcast we'll be right back my son was diagnosed with a back bruise <laughs> fuck off you All right, so we're back here on the Pucks and Deep podcast. And uh, like Lesko said earlier in the first segment, it's been a long time coming. Uh, really excited to announce our, our first Twitter verified guest uh, here on the Pucks and Deep podcast. Uh, and yeah, that is a shout out and a little uh, blindside uh, comment against Tyler Madras and Jay Con. Those boys are worthy of, of check marks, but they don't quite have them yet. Uh, this guy, definitely worthy. Maple, Ontario native, former assistant coach with the Guelph Storm, former Pittsburgh Penguin, and former Toronto Maple Leaf, current associate coach with the Kingston Frontenacs, Luca Caputi. Uh, Luca, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for joining the Pucks and Deep podcast. Uh, I understand you're doing a pretty solid favor to a, a common friend in uh, Matt Clancy. So I'll have to send Matt Clancy a, a, a case of Lucky Loggers to thank him. Yeah, that's great. Uh, pleasure. To, uh, thanks for having me. Anything you guys need. Right on. So uh, how did that uh, relationship start, Luca? Did you, uh, were you, you know, in the Kingston area looking for a, a spot to stay? Did you know Matt before or uh, how did that come about? Yeah, uh, funny actually. Uh, just ended up taking uh, or getting the job here last uh, July. I would uh, middle of July, I think it was, and uh, really kind of scrambling to find some uh, some housing here. And uh, actually called my wife called uh, to uh, purchase a condo that he had had listed and. Uh, the long and short of it is I ended up uh, living downstairs. Uh, from his uh, in his play there, there's like it's like a bungalow we we live in here and uh he actually just moved out and moved into a a nice little pad and i moved upstairs in the spot that he was living in so just kind of coincidence and uh actually my wife kind of broke the barrier there oh right on so and, and i understand as, as i understand it you guys uh got together for you know some some leaf games and that's always a good time to be able to have a couple of beers and, and watch the buds play with your friends 
Yeah, no, he's uh, he's a good man, and uh, uh, we hung out quite a bit last year. Obviously, my, my family doesn't live with me, so uh, uh, I have a lot of time on my hands, uh, especially at night when we don't play. So, uh, yeah, I watched some hockey, watched the uh, Raptors run. It was uh, it was uh, it was good times. Did you ever get an opportunity to see uh, you know Mister Clancy maybe a, a few sheets to the wind, or did he usually keep it pretty PG? No, yeah, he was he was fine. His kid and his wife were upstairs. So, <laughs> oh yeah, no, nothing, not, nothing like that. More conversation and and stuff like that, and uh, really nothing towards that at all, actually. You know, got to behave yourself with the family around. Uh, I want to jump in your career a little bit here, Luca. Um, just going all the way back, actually, to your minor hockey days. You played with the uh, Toronto Junior Canadians organization, one of the, the premier AAA teams that you'd say in the country. Um, and you put up crazy numbers, I believe 107 points in 53 games. Um, how was that for your development? And how did Ryan McDonough have more points than you? <laughs> he was a good player, fifth overall pick. Uh, it goes a little further back than that. I actually played for the Toronto Red Wings for uh, the majority of my minor hockey. My dad was my coach. Uh, actually proud to really uh, say that we had six NHL draft picks on my peewee hockey team, which is pretty wow. much unheard of. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and then ended up, uh, for whatever reason, obviously, I, I wouldn't even know. Uh, we just ended up splitting up for a couple of years there, and I played minor midget twice. And then, yes, I ended up on the Toronto Junior Canadians. Uh, pretty good team. A lot of uh, high-end draft picks to the OHL that year. And, and Ryan McDonough was probably the best 88-born minor hockey player from Peewee on. There, there wasn't anyone better. He scored at will. He's fast, smart player. Uh, lucky to have played with him and still talk to him to this day. So, Oh, awesome. Now, was he playing forward at that point in time? Because I thought I saw him listed as a center at that point. Yeah, he's a center, yeah. Okay. Well, that makes a little more sense as far as the point totals go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, Luca, you talked about your, your dad coaching you uh, for the Toronto Red Wings. Is that uh, – can you attribute, you know, the fact that you had – your father uh, behind you coaching. So you were able to probably receive a little, a little tough love uh, being the coach's son yeah, because um, you know, as anyone knows, even if they work in a, in a job, whether it be hockey or, or anything else, uh, if you work for your family, everyone seems to think you get special treatment, but the special treatment is you're getting, you're getting the hard end of the stick and you, you got to be dead to call in sick. So, um, you know, maybe touch on that a little bit. Did that lead you down the path later on in your career for your decision to get into coaching based on what you saw your father do? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Not so much. Uh, my dad, it was, he was more passionate and he was better coached than he was a player. So, um, it, it didn't really, uh, even occur to me to be a coach really back then. It just, um, he was, uh, he was obviously hard on me and, uh, and there was some tough love for sure. Obviously your dad's a coach and you're one of the better teams and probably I would say the province or the country. And so, uh, yeah, uh, you, you know, when you go to school, it's just the nature of the beast, right? Some kids with jealousy or whatever, whatever the case may be, sometimes it was, it wasn't easy, but at the, at the same time, it, it, it kind of made me mentally, you know, tougher than, you know, the average Joe and, uh, he, he wasn't easy on I me. Mean, neither was my mom. They were both, uh, you know, uh, we're, you know, blue collar family. They go to work every day at 30 years, my mom and my dad still works. So, um, just kind of, you know, they expected a certain, you know, standard every day and they didn't care to take me or, you know, they gave me everything I wanted, but at the same time they expected an effort. And I think that's kind of, um, 
been a kind of foundation for me as 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 a human being and as i've grown up i've to have taken that with me and uh into exactly what i do today and even when i was a player i i wasn't the greatest player i just you know if i if i wasn't working hard and i was probably left behind so uh something that i've always taken with me well you played in the show so give yourself some credit there luca <laughs> yeah but like i said <laughs> i would it wasn't just on talent. It was it was a combination of uh, timing and certain things and going your way and and obviously having those uh, you know those foundation core values that my parents instilled in me. Well, that's right, Luke. I mean, you're you're looking at what seven hundred and thirty seven odd players or so uh, in the world, right? Uh, that get to play. So, like you said, you know there are a handful of players out there that that can get by on talent alone, but. I mean, what are you going to say? 96, 97% of the guys in the NHL are, are getting there with a lot of hard work, a lot of support uh, yeah. from their family members and a lot of dedication. So I think you did you did do a good job of, of showing that. I mean, I do remember, uh, you know, watching you play for the Leafs. I mean, I watched every goddamn game for the Leafs for, since as long as I can remember. So, you know, I remember you playing for us. And, uh, um, you know, it's uh, obviously it's a, a real a real positive thing to be able to say that you've gone that far and, and a real good thing that you've moved on into the coaching world as well. So I think lesco has got a question for you as far as coaching is concerned. Yeah. Uh, whenever you uh, decide to retire from hockey, I believe the last couple of years of pro you played up in uh, Sweden. Um, was there a, a period of time that you took off in between kind of figure out where am I going from here, what I'm going to do? Or, or at that point, did you know you wanted to get into coaching? No, so yeah, it's it's a good question as well, and um, it it kind of just it's it, like this business is all about timing, and um, you know it's just something I, I think I'd want to do. I actually interviewed for another job and didn't get it, and then the Guelph job came available, and the GM there was uh, my coach and junior, uh, Mike Kelly, and so it's like I said, it's all about timing, and not so much who you know, but timing for sure. Just you know everything kind of fell into place and uh, I made the decision after training all summer and I, I trained at Biosteel for the last three years with Matt Nickel and some pretty good players there so it was a, it was a tough adjustment at first you know you go from a player mentality and and you got to kind of snap out of it pretty quickly it was like a two-week window before camp camp had just started so I was really green and 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 I uh, learned a lot and still trying to learn to this day. Well, one thing that we're trying to learn, Luca, and we're wondering if you can shed some light on this is the difference between assistant coach and associate coach. Cause as we were pulling up your, you know, your Wikipedia page and your hockey DB and trying to get as much details as we could on you for the interview, we noticed a, a difference between assistant coach with Guelph storm and, and associate coach with the kinks and Frontenacs. Is there a big difference there, Luca? Yeah, essentially, it's it's not a huge difference. You you, you still there's still a head coach, um, but you, I would say you're kind of climbing the ladder. Uh, you're a little bit further ahead. It's you know I run the defense. I never um, had any anything to do with bench management. Bench management in game in Guelph. I just ran the power play, uh, and obviously did a lot of skill work, uh, extra time, video, and all that stuff in, in Guelph. But uh, when I took the job here uh, as an associate coach, it's it's just like a kind of like a feather in your cap uh, nice on nice on the resume and it's like like I said you're climbing the ladder so I, I guess the next progression there would be to, to try and be a, a head coach it's the I would say it's the the next step below 
uh, a head coach on the totem pole so as I think far as hockey operations. Sorry, so I think it's safe to say that more responsibilities would lay. Yeah, absolutely. On, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so then would it also be safe to assume, Luca, that that's an aspiration for yourself? Then is to move up the ranks and you know maybe get a head coaching gig, whether it be in the OHL. Would you entertain a head coaching gig? You know, in the likes of the uh, the NCAA or or perhaps abroad, or do you want to kind of stick around now that you got the family? Yeah, uh, I think uh, oh, I'm, I'm certain uh, to be an NCAA coach, you have to have a degree. Uh, so that's not happening. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't have any post-secondary education, to be honest with you. Just a couple courses but because uh, I had turned pro so quickly. but uh, So that's not an option. But, yeah, I would – you know, I think – you have to have small goals in this industry. You have to have big dreams and small goals and try to achieve them every day. And, uh, yeah, that would, that, that would be for sure. One of the, one of the goals and, and by no means am I in a rush to do it or, or anything like that. It's got to make sense. You got to be ready. And obviously, like I said, you know, you're blessed to, to be, I'm blessed to be an associate coach. You're blessed to be a head coach, but at the same time, you don't want it to be your, your first and your last gig. So, I wanted to ask you about uh, Dougie Gilmore. Now, I read that you were a big fan of his growing up, uh, myself as well. And I was wondering, did you have an opportunity to meet him when you were with the Maple Leaf organization? Or did that not come later, actually, up until you uh, started working for the Frontenacs? Uh, so, uh, funny story, uh, my last year pro in Sweden, his, his daughter, his name is Madison Gilmore, now Madison McGrath, uh, and her, her husband, uh, Evan, we were uh, one of two or th- two, three imports on the team in-, in Sweden. So we got really close with them. Uh, and like I said, it's, you know, kind of, I'm not saying that's, it, that's the reason I have the job here in Kingston, but obviously I, I uh, there was a connection there from three, you know, I went to Guelph for three years, but after that, I, uh, you know, I, you know, I know Dougie through Evan and uh, they, they were at our wedding and we're super tight to this day. So, uh, like I said, timing and, and who you know is, is a big part of, of hockey. And that puts a lot of onus on your performance. Um, you know, I imagine that you might go home at night and think, listen, you know, I don't want this position to come across as something that was given to me. So you want to be out there doing everything you can, Luca, to improve player development. Because at that age, they're so, uh, I'm not going to say that you can imprint on that player, but you can definitely assist a player really find his game or find his niche, what could make or break him as far as his career as a professional goes. So, you know, that's probably something that you might take home with you. And I think um, it takes a while to earn your reputation, doesn't it, Luca? No, for sure. And uh, the the most important thing is you're building relationships and whether they become, you know, the the hard truth of it is probably 1% of my team or our team, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say me, mine, uh, our team will play in the NHL. So you want to make sure that they're, uh, you're, you're teaching them life lessons at the same time. And, you know, uh, I, I take great pride in building relationships and letting them know I care, not only as, as a, as a hockey player, but as, as a person, we're all people at the end of the day. And, um, and, and as, and as much as you can, you want to reinforce that and show them that, and they got to know that and, and own it. And, and that's how you, uh, you get the most out of them. So when you really have to, you know, turn up the volume, they respond the right way. And that's, like I said, that's what I take uh, great pride in. Well, I'm talking about guys that um, I would imagine would be a big part of your focus is uh, development. But um, the Frontenacs actually had the, the uh, I guess, honor and pleasure of drafting a 15-year-old exceptional status Shane Wright. 
Um, you know, only one of uh, a handful of players in OHL history who has been granted this status. Um, it looks like from his stats, he's been nearly a point uh, per game player for the Frontenacs this season. So I wanted to ask you, what's it like been coaching him so far? And can you describe what he uh, brings to a team and what makes him exceptional? Well, yeah, and it's it's another great question. Uh, Shane's just... He, he's obviously an exceptional talent, but his maturity is beyond his years. He, uh, you know, he pushes the pace every day. He drives everyone. He drives, uh, he drives the bus for our team. He, he's the youngest captain. Uh, we, we just named him an assistant captain, uh, three weeks ago. He's the youngest captain in CHL history and not, not for anything other than he earned it and he deserves it. And, and, uh, and he's he's been remarkable for for our for our team, not only our team but our organization, our city. Um, he does it right every day, like I said. He's mature beyond his years. And uh, as a 15 year old, you know, when people are following a kid like that, just because he does it right, uh, he's a good kid. Um, and the most impressive part is, you know, he had to move away from home. He's 15 years old. That's not easy for any teenager. Um, at the same time, he maintains a 95 average at school and, and produces on the ice. So. Um, just like I said, like I said, a real mature kid, uh, real great kid, great human being. And, you know, we're real excited, uh, cornerstone for the franchise. We're going to have him for two and a half more years and we're really excited where, where we can go and, and what we can build around him. A real brainiac, Luca. So guess what you're telling me is that he might be able to coach in the, in the NCAA at some point. Yeah, I, I'm sure he'll be playing uh, for quite a while. I don't know if that's even on the radar. Yeah, no kidding. Listen, uh, keep it with the Frontenacs for a moment, uh, Luca. The um, I, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but we're based in Pembroke, Ontario here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Lumber Kings are a big deal here. We'll talk about former Lumber King coach uh, Sheldon Keefe in a moment. Um, the Lumber Kings have recently picked up uh, Dennis Golovichev, who, you know, uh, t- to my understanding, um, you know, just kind of left the team uh, with the front next. We don't need to get into that necessarily. But, um, you know, I was just wondering if you might have some some light to shed on, on myself. Uh, I do the play by play broadcasting for the uh, Pembroke Lumber Kings. And uh, from what I see so far in just a few short games, the guy can really, really shoot. Uh, and he's yeah. pretty good uh, in terms of being an available option in his own zone. He's very defensively responsible. So just wondering if you might be able to touch a little bit on uh, on Golovichev and his time with the Frontenacs. Well, yeah, actually going even further back, uh, we drafted him in Guelph when I was there. Uh, oh, okay. He scored the yeah, OHL Cup game-winning goal. I was at the game. I was at Maple Leaf Gardens and uh, four seconds left. And, yeah. Uh, just a kid. He's he's a big body. He can skate. Uh, he's got uh, you know a great shot, as you alluded to. He's and he's got all the the tools and the, the just the the challenge for Golo has always been just bringing it every night and being consistent and playing. I, I call it in between the dots and you know the games one in between the dots and he and he knows this and we've talked at length and he's just he just got to get there more often and be consistent with it because he can skate. He's a big body. He's got a great shot. Um, good kid works hard. Um, he's got all those assets going for him. And, and if he ever finds consistency, uh, on a, on a shift to shift basis, uh, day to day basis, he can be, he can be a real, real good player. And I think it's safe to assume too, Luca, that that those are attributes that can be 
Uh, what am I trying to say? They can be molded. They can be massaged by a coach, right? So if you're able to see a player that has the tools, but you know, isn't necessarily uh, finding his drive or his passion is, is that like a, almost, almost like a work in progress that you can kind of have a, an individual coaching relationship with a player who, whom you feel you can really help break through to the next level. Well, yeah. You, and, and like, I, I think I talked about it a little bit earlier, but you want to have those types of relationships with every player. You got to know, um, you know, everyone has a different personality. It's, it's, it's a much different world that we live in nowadays and, and a much different, uh, you know, hockey culture, uh, than when I played. And that's not too long ago. So, uh, like I said, every player is different. They react different in certain uh, situations, but, um, building those relationships and earning their trust so that, like I said, when you have to turn up the volume and hold them accountable, they respond the right way because they know it's, it's, there's no, you know, personal attack on them. It's just what, you know, what's, what's best for the team and, and, the, and the individual at that time. And, uh, it's a huge part of hockey. And, and I think that, um, any coach that can, you know, manage those types of personalities on a day-to-day basis and adjust accordingly is, is setting themselves up for, and the team up for success. Well, your answer couldn't have been a better segue to uh, my next question for you, Luca, with regards to the hockey culture and, you know, the shift that we've seen recently with regards to, you know, coaches being held accountable for what you literally just said, you know, some personal attacks and some whatnot. Um, You know, as a coach now uh, in the OHL and, and with aspirations to move up the ranks, uh, you know, where do you stand in terms of the, the shift in hockey culture? And, you know, obviously, Luca, you would have you would have uh, been brought up through the ranks with with a lot of the quote unquote uh, potential old boys club and, you know, the, the negative motivation to get you going. And, you know, where, where do you stand on the whole shift as it stands for the culture of the game of hockey? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm a I'm a real passionate guy. I, I uh, for lack of a better phrase, it's cliche. I don't like to lose. I, I don't even like to lose a card game um, almost to a fault at times. So, uh, like I said, anytime you can build a relationship, you have to with every individual. Um, but as soon as you're in their trust, you can you can crank up the volume and, and, the, and they and they know it's not, you know, it's not personal. It's it's what's best for the team and. And, and them at that at, at that time and like I said some kids I you know in my experience we've had kids that you, you have to be harder on that's what you know brings out the best in them and there's other guys that you can't you have to you know have to wait maybe five or ten minutes you know when their heart rate comes down and then just have a you know a, a real casual conversation to get through to them it's it's managing those different personalities and and and, and like I said every kid's different it's 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 a different world we live in you have to be cognizant of it you have to be uh, be able to adjust and and whatever your team needs and whatever you think brings the best out of your team and the individual is the way you have to go and you have to trust that and uh that's just that's just how i believe it's it's got to be done right now and 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 you set the example so if you're a tireless worker and, and they see that and 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 obviously you build a relationship with them. They're they're gonna play for you. It's 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 a cliche, but you set the bar. You're the leader, and, and when when they see that and they know you care, and and like I said, it's it's nothing personal. It's a business. At the end of the day, you earn their trust. And like I said, when you turn up the volume, and you know I'm passionate. I'm not gonna lie. There's there's times where I get heated. Uh, I think that it's nothing personal, and you don't you don't attack a kid personally. You, 
you kind of mention it to the group and you don't, I, I'm not one for singling out, singling out guys. Um, that's just me. Um, it can work for other people, but I think that, you know, if you're going to do it, you, you, you do it one-on-one like a man. And, and I think they respond positively to that. Well, I mean, it's, it's not the greatest question, uh, to ask you, but it, it is an important one, uh, given that we do have you on right now and, and you are in that position of coaching these, these young men as they turn into, you know, professionals, uh, or aspiring professionals, you know, you said you get heated from time to time. You never do a personal attack. Given what we've seen recently in, in terms of the legal ramifications and, you know, head coaches and associate coaches, assistants losing their losing their jobs. Are there moments in time now, Luca, where you wait a moment and, and think, OK, you know, I, I need to I need to walk the line here. I need to stay on side right now. No, 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 not at all. Like I, 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 I you, you and like I said, I was brought up the right way. So I have core values and you, I, I, I don't. I don't believe that, and I've never seen someone cross the line. It's 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 you got to go down a, a a darker road than to, to cross the line that I've seen, anyways, in, in coaching. And um, like I said, when you when you crank up the volume, uh, it's not you know you're not singling out people. You're more you know trying to motivate the team, and and that's the way I think it should be done. And uh, no, but to answer your question, I, that really hasn't ever crossed my mind because it, uh, like, I, I just think it just, it comes from your core. And if you're a good person and you do things the right way, then that really, that should never be a, that should always be an afterthought. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's fair to say that too, Luca, because even Lesko and myself, when we were, you know, when the Bill Peters uh, situation was being broken and of course we were covering it here on the Pucks and D podcast, um, you know, we were kind of saying, I remember saying to, to Lesko, listen, if it's going as far as, you know, uh, former players and individuals coming out to, you know, make statements, then I think it was really bad. Like it, it wasn't just someone being called a, you know, a bitch for not going into the corner. I mean, it's, it's, it's well, well beyond that. It's probably more personal than anything. Well, yeah, like I said, I've never been a as a player or a, or a coach. I've never, you know, with what happened to Akeem, and I know him. Uh, he beat the wheels off me in junior, so I know Akeem. <laughs> like we we he's he skated with me. He's been out to my skates. I've skated with him. Uh, I've never seen anything like that or heard anything like that. You know, with you know, with my two years and my my two eyes, uh, and I and it's really unfortunate to be honest with you that you know stuff like that actually occurred. I, and like I said, I've, I've never seen it. And uh, like I said, you have to go down a dark path to be to be really in that situation. Yeah, and I think you're taking the right approach, like you said, with, with regards to individual relationships. I mean, there's no blanket solution for any team, and you can't treat everybody as the same person because everyone's different. And, and it's not until you can unlock those intricacies before you can start to maybe get the best out of those guys. Uh, I want to take it back to your uh, to your time in the NHL, actually. Um, I, obviously, it's got to be a memorable moment for you, but scoring your first NHL goal against Carey Price and on your first shift, no less. But there was an interesting stat that we pulled up. It says that you scored on a, your shift, which was over two minutes long. Is that true? No. I was uh, I was out there for maybe 13 seconds. I, I, I remember, obviously, I remember it like yesterday. I, I hopped over the boards and I immediately went on a two-on-one. I tried to go to my backhand. Uh, he made the save, and then I put the rebound in, and that was 
it was maybe 15 seconds but yeah that that was the shift <laughs> well listen one of us will do you a solid and go on there and fix that then because that doesn't that's not very <laughs> fucking wikipedia sewered us <laughs> that's, no. not, that, that's not very becoming of you to be out there for over two no. minutes there's only a pressure never, never i don't know i don't know if that's ever happened before it probably never happened well because i was wondering luke i thought you know what maybe maybe it's a mistake and they meant to say that he only got Oh, just over two minutes of ice time and then i'm thinking no, no i way. i remember i it's a funny story actually i can i can tell this story it's a good it's a it's a cool story so i started on the fourth line i played with eric goddard and bill thomas who was my line mate in wilkesbury we got called up at the same time played on the same line um ended up going out there and scoring so it's one nothing us like probably two minutes i think it was two minutes into the game to be honest with you because we would have been the fourth line to go out there um and and then then <laughs> i come to the bench and the very next shift michelle terrian was our coach he's the associate i believe actually or assistant in philly right now uh he just said sid gino capote huh. and i went out there the next shift with uh, malkin and crosby so i, I played quite a bit that night and uh, ended up staying for a few weeks yeah right on now you said you stayed for a few weeks uh the coaching transition was right around that time was it not from terrian to bilesma yeah yeah yes. so i would have had dan in the minors uh uh, in, in Wilkes-Barre. And, uh, so if, another funny story, it would have been right after I got sent back. It was the weekend I got sent back. We played Hamilton. Hamilton was an HL team then. And then we played Lake Erie. who's was still a team. They were Colorado's, uh, farm team. Uh, and we ended up winning the game and we, uh, we used to go to this place. It was a, it was a restaurant, um, right after games on Sundays and we all got called back to the rink and, and that's when it happened. Like right after the game on a Sunday night, Dan went up and won the cup. Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, is that something like if you can call back to this, Luca? Was that something that excited you? Like, hey, this is this is my guy from uh, from you know the AHL club. He's getting promoted. I just recently yeah. was there and scored a goal. Like, is that is that going all through your mind when that happens? Yeah, not so much. Um, I had had a good year actually in Wilkes-Barre that year. And the year before we went to the Calder cup final. So, and Dan was the assistant and Todd Richards was our head coach. So that summer, Dan, uh, Todd left to go to, to be the assistant in San Jose and Dan had taken over the head coaching responsibilities. And yeah, so Dan was, is responsible for a lot of the knowledge I have in hockey. I mean, I, I kept a lot of stuff, uh, from that time. That's kind of when I had this, you know, like burning desire to be a coach, you know, you have it, you either have it or you don't. And I started, I still have all our training camp booklets from way back then in 2008 and 2009. And, um, the funny thing is I, I really, I didn't, I didn't get called up again until the next January. And, and like I said, I had had a good year and I had a really good start to the following year. But, and one thing I'll say about Pittsburgh is that they, they, they do it right. They're so professional there. They, they, they make you better people. And, um, it, it, they don't put you in any situation that you're not ready for. You have to earn it. They always call up the best player. It could be, it could be a guy on an AHL two way or you know your top prospect. Whoever's playing the best is going up, and that's one thing I always ad admired about that that you know that regime there with Ray Richero and Tom Fitzgerald and and all those guys that were were in Pittsburgh. They they made me the man I am today, and um, a lot of stuff like I said, all, a lot of the knowledge that I I have as a coach stems back to when I, you know, when I was first turned pro with, the, with, with Pittsburgh. Well, I'm glad you talked about Wilkes-Barre because I wanted to ask you a little bit about your time playing down in Wilkes-Barre, specifically, uh, 
your residency with, uh, you know, current uh, superstar podcast genius, uh, amongst others, uh, Paul, Paul Bissonette. Uh, is there anything, uh, I don't imagine there's too many onside stories that you could tell with this guy, but uh, what was the uh, rooming situation like uh, living with Biz Nasty down in Wilkesbury? He, uh, well, Biz is one of my, we were still, we still talk to us. They actually, I'm, I, I just, I just did a interview to, to be on spit and chicklets, which I think is coming out here shortly. Uh, um, uh, yeah, no, we, we, you know, and like I said on, on, on their podcast, he, he's responsible for a, a lot of, uh, who I am. And he, uh, he took me under his wing and there's, there's some funny, funny stories, obviously. Like I, I, I said it on spit and chicklets, uh, he uh, he he sold me some used clothes one time. That's the first time I ever met him at the Mellon <laughs> Arena parking lot. But uh, nonetheless, we're we're still friends to this day. Um, always always talk to him. He I have a lot of respect for him. We, we, you know, uh, he's he's a guy who was, he used to come into Toronto and stay with me and my folks, and that's how close we were. Like I said, he took me under his wing, showed me the ropes always uh good bad or indifferent uh in my ear you know if i'm doing things the right way or if i'm not um and like i said it's probably the reason we still talk to this day because like it's real it's real life you know and realistically you only talk to a handful of people you played with and uh he's he's fortunate for me and fortunate for uh like i said myself and our relationship uh, i still talk to him to this day yeah he seems like a hell of a guy to be around and i mean we all know the guy's a big wheel right but how was he in those days as a wing man? I want to know. <laughs> I don't know if he was a wing man, so to speak. He, it, Biz, he he was he was a real serious guy at the rink. He, you know, he was the first guy there and last guy to leave. Whether, like I said, uh, he, you know, he he, whether he was working out or watching video or uh, shaving his beard, whatever it was, he was there late and a uh, real serious guy when he played. He always wanted to get better and. And that's why he, that's why he played so long. I mean, he, he'd be the first to tell you he, he wasn't the most skilled guy in the world, but he found a way, like you, you always need guys like him on your team. He kept it light in the room. You know, he defended teammates. He, you know, he's a guy you want to go to war with every night. And um, like I said, he did it right every day. He's a hardworking guy who just tried to get better and, and would do anything for the, you know, the crest that was about the decal on your helmet and the crest on your chest. And, um, so cliche, but so true and like like i said those are glue guys that are invaluable to teams and and lucky for me i mean you know we had our fun don't get me wrong but um he he did it right 99.9 percent of the time right on well uh when you guys were in the hl together i mean there's there's always these legendary stories of road trips and the grueling schedule and and you know some horrible long road trips as well but um were there any places that like you guys dreaded going to like any gritty towns and, and why maybe well it, not, yeah i guess not dreaded so you're pretty central there in wilkes you have like uh hershey's two hours philly philly used to be in the, in the league they were they were two hours away you had binghamton which i dreaded going to binghamton it was just like a dark little muggy town with a not so great rank older rank uh and like i said it's an hour away so you're just going in and out which is beneficial uh to your team and then syracuse was two two hours away great city i actually played there um but yeah i would say bingo probably yeah uh, albany new york i i liked it but a lot of people 
downplay that city. I, I liked it. I, there was a cheesecake factory there, so I, I always look forward to going. I always look forward to going into. We always go the day before. If it was three hours or longer the trip, you go the day before. And uh, per diem's nice and pro. They give you cash to to eat at night. So. Uh, yeah, look forward to always going to Albany, but some people uh, beg to differ. Yeah, and let's not kid ourselves, Luca. The states do restaurants right, don't they? Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're in the right restaurants, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, oversized everything for sure. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, growing up in Maple, Ontario, I don't think you had the opportunity to go down to the Olive Garden for unlimited soup and bread. Oh, can... I used to eat pregame there. That's a fun story. <laughs> a lot of us used to go there. What was the... Always uh, eat uh, chicken parm. Pre-game. I was just going to yeah, say, yeah. what was the go-to? Chicken parm, eh? Chicken parm with vegetables, all-you-can-eat salad, yeah. It would be like... It was funny. We'd be... In Wilkes-Barre, we, we would have morning skate 90% of the time in the first half. And then 11 a.m., we'd do the pre-scout for, for the night so that you would see all the video. And then you go digest it, and then the coaches would just quickly go over it at 5.30, so it wasn't, like, information overload when you got back to the rink. But we would be there, like, uh, we'd sit at the bar at 11.15 a.m., um, just have our meals, and, like, as quick as you can be out of there, you'd be out of there and trying to get get back in the sheets for a quick nap. Right on. So I wanted to transition over to your, you know, your your, your career as a pro, and we'll, t- we'll touch on, you know, your career as a Leaf in a little bit as well. Um, I wanted to lead off with your your two seasons uh, playing abroad in Sweden, um, you know, based on the statistics that I was able to pull up from the friendly uh, internet, looked like you enjoyed yourself over there, Luca. It looked like you likely would have been one of the uh, better scorers on the team and whatnot. Um, maybe just the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest takeaway that you got when you went over there, what really blew you away? Or what was the most notably different thing about playing abroad versus playing here in North America? Oh, we loved it. It was the culture uh, at Sweden. Unbelievable culture, unbelievable people, people that do it right. They, their heart rate doesn't go very high. Uh, they could have 15 coffees a day. Their heart rate wouldn't wouldn't reach 100. Uh, I, I enjoyed it immensely there. We, uh, Myself and my wife and, and my first year, we had a, a lot of imports. Actually, we were a really good team that uh, tried to tried to win uh win the league that year and we had like seven or eight in ports it was just an unbelievable experience uh like i said the culture there like they're just humble uh english is their second language um so it was an easy transition for me um like nothing real nothing negative at all to say it was just it was awesome uh i i, I always you know you, you reminisce on past memories and i always think about how how awesome and wonderful that that country is because you know sometimes you miss it yeah we're in we're in a rush we're always in a rush to go nowhere here um obviously i'm north american i'm canadian uh lived in this society my whole life but over there is just like a calmness to the air i don't know i don't know what it is it's infectious it it, where it uh you know it rubs off on most people and how was the fan experience like over there, Luca? I myself had an opportunity to uh, several years ago travel to uh, Austria, and I caught some of the uh, Salzburg Red Bulls. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like yeah. the the fan experience is is wild. Uh, it's yeah, it's I would totally... compare it almost to uh, to a soccer game. Really, you'd yeah. Have your, I, I call it. You'd call it your ultras. So like your your super fans, they they stand. There's no seats in this area they stand in the section and they just chant the whole game. Then you probably have like 4,000 seats of just normal, uh, not normal, but like uh, just people that want to be at the game and sit in their seat and watch it and cheer as loud as they can when you score, but they're not really into it as much as uh, I would say the ultras are. And then there's like this little tiny section 
for the away team's fans. Like, so if they traveled with you and they, they would stand in that area, it's pretty cool. It's like similar to a soccer yeah, culture. Yeah, happened. very, very soccer. Like I was actually in that, on that same trip, I went to a, a pro soccer game as well. And, and it was the same idea. The away supporters were all tucked away in one corner and there was a ridiculous amount of yellow jacket security guards, you know, yeah. to separate them from the other fans for fear of like fights and stuff breaking out. But every time I watched some sort of overseas, even if it's just a clip, if, 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 if a clip comes across Twitter, check out this amazing goal from the Swedish men's league or whatever. I, all I can see is how crazy the fans are. I mean, I feel like when we're here in North America, I've said this to Lesko before on the show, it, it's more of a religious thing here. Like we get nervous and angry and we bleed with the team and cry with the team. And we're just hoping and praying to anything that we can win. Whereas when we go abroad, they don't, it's not that they don't care. It's just like, they're just there to enjoy the, enjoy the game. No, no. They, they, uh, yeah, that might be a little bit of a misconception. They care. They care. Uh, they care a lot. That, like the ultras, especially they're, they're like emotionally, uh, it's like do, do or die. They're, they're, they're one of the, the boys they are, they're on the team. They want to be on the bench. Um, and like I said, they, they get on you too, like, and rightfully so if you're not playing well, but uh, for the most part, they're very engaged and very emotional. And uh, like I said, they wear their heart on their sleeve and, and they're there and they, they live and die by the team. Some of them, it's, it's, it's impressive. It's cool. I think you saw a little bit of that in the uh, World Juniors most recently. I believe the Czechs were down, I don't know, four goals or something like that, and yet everyone's on their feet. Yeah. Everyone's chanting still. And like I, I, I definitely identify with what you're saying in terms of it being a, like a soccer-like atmosphere where that's that chanting and constant fan yeah, engagement. Yeah, for lack of a better term. Yeah, you don't see that much in North America, but there it's, they're very accustomed to, to that type of uh, environment when they play, at, especially at home. Yeah, the, maybe the only similar equivalent we'd see in North America might be like college football and basketball, perhaps. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's wild college there. Football, like uh, University of Florida, there. You know, when they clap their hands like Gators. Yeah, it's similar to that for sure. Uh, I know we're bouncing around a little bit here, but uh, we do want to talk a little bit about uh, your time in the blue and white. Um, I know you scored your first NHL goal uh, in front of about. 40 friends and family, it said, according to what we looked up, against Tim Thomas, March 9th, 2010. Uh, just yeah. describe that moment for us, what that was like, and, and even walking on the ice the first time must have been special. Just sniping goals on awesome tendies. Yeah. Wow, those are the only two goals I scored in the NHL, so <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny, actually. No, uh, it was a whirlwind. I was, in, I was actually at... Uh, I was at a, our, our equipment manager in Wilkes-Barre's... Uh, wrestling event just supporting the guy he is like a gym wrestling event pretty funny actually uh and the news kind of broke and my phone started blowing up and uh next thing you know i'm at you know i'm in boston the next day at the td garden playing against the bruins um ended up uh so the trip went we went boston from boston to ottawa to philly and then home so it would have been my fourth game we played uh, against boston for the second time in obviously that four game span on the tuesday night and yeah uh it was cool i mean everything was cool like that first week was a whirlwind you play four games in like i want to say tuesday thursday yeah six nights and it was right after the olympics so the schedule is really heavy you're playing almost every other day right uh, not practicing so much um but yeah a uh, uh, cool cool night and uh, scored. Uh, I scored to tie the game actually late and uh, played a couple shifts in overtime. Uh, it was it was an awesome awesome night. 
uh, great night for myself and my family. We, uh, you know, we still have fond memories of that and going out for dinner after with everyone was, uh, was something special. They all came in the room too. So that was, that was another cool part of the, part of the night. Oh, that's really awesome. I mean, um, you know, is that a kind of, kind of a situation, Luca, if you can take us into the, the dynamic of a player with his family and friends there, is that the kind of situation where tonight's your night and, um, you know, you get to bring some people in there or, or, or does everyone? Yeah. Get- you know, I, I, I honestly, it was, it, I, it wasn't like planned or anything like that. It was just, we won the game in overtime. I think Phil scored in overtime, uh, Kessel and, uh, I just I just remember like uh, Brian Papineau, Pappy we call him as the equipment manager for the Leafs. He just said, "Bring him on the bring him on in." You have how you said how many how many family members you have here? I said a lot. He goes, "Bring him on in." We just won, no problem. And yeah, so uh, long and short of it, it was like uh, thirty five people for sure in the dressing room. It's a big room, so yeah, yeah. And it they're, wasn't uh, they're like all... overly crowded or anything, but yeah, it just it just kind of the way it kind of happened it was uh like i said not planned and uh an off obviously a great special special and great night for myself and my family they're all definitely pumped that the leafs won the game otherwise they might not have been invited down there well yeah you could come down but i'm uh, i would never i would never uh even go as far as bringing them in after a loss it's just yeah, it's no kidding. Moral code. I I wouldn't be very happy. I don't think. Yeah, that's right. Now we got to do. We're doing a little bit of fact checking here on the Pucks and D podcast. So we found out that Wiki is wrong on your first shift, and you just said that you only got those two goals in the NHL, but Hockey DB is giving you credit for three. So who's wrong there? Uh, I'm, I don't think. Oh yeah, I do have three. There you go. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I was gonna say so there's. Yeah, it's, it's gotta I be forgot. true. Yeah, you, you had you stabbed me stumped there. So yeah, it is three. Uh, my first call up, I scored on my first shift, and then my second call up, I scored in my first game. Uh, a Gino Evgeny uh, Malkin, an unbelievable individual effort. It was against Atlanta, uh, and like, I just had a tap in back door. It was uh, yes. So yes, it's three for sure. Nice. Oh, there we go. Right, right on. on. Um, since you mentioned Phil Kessel, I, I just got to ask. Like, I'm not sure how much time you got to actually spend with the guy and around the guy, but do you, you got any stories about Phil, or, or what can you tell us about your time in and around Well, this I lived guy? with uh, Tyler Bozak for two two years. And so, oh, so he was there all the time. Yeah, they were, they were uh, tight. We, uh, yeah, we lived together. We had a two-bedroom condo and the high part of a condo, actually. Way too high for my liking, 38th floor. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so we were around Phil a lot. We played a lot of golf in the summer and uh obviously been to his place and a huge place unbelievable uh being college in toronto one of the nicest condos i've ever seen in my life uh so yeah uh phil's just a happy-go-lucky guy i mean likes his sour patch uh <laughs> likes his diet cokes and he's just phil like he's a, he's a like i talked about earlier as a coach there's just different personalities that's he fills phil and uh, give you the the shirt off his back. Really, really good guy. I mean, I was lucky um, through Bozy. Just I want to say it's more because I live with Bozy, but they had a special bond, and I was lucky enough to tag on for a couple of years there. So you talk, sorry, Lesko, you talked about the Sour Patch Kids and the Diet Cokes, but you didn't you didn't talk about any hot dogs. Or is that just a bad rap for Phil? Is that just an inside joke? Yeah, no, he, he not so much. He we we like we love Chipotle, so we, we used to go to Chipotle a lot. I, no, 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 not so much hot dogs, no. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess you end up living with Bozak. Is that because you guys kind of came up around the same time? 
Yeah, so uh, Victor Stolber. So what happened was uh, when I got traded, the Leafs, they, they put you up kind of because I was renting in Wilkes-Barre and um, they kind of have to like put you in a spot to live. So I, they had given me a spot and the next year I came back. Um, it was the last cut of camp, but in the summer, I, me and myself and Bozy had worked it out because Victor Stolberg was traded for Christopher Stieg in the, in the offseason there. And uh, he lived with Bozy and, and it just so happened that I... Uh, ended up moving into that place and regardless if i was on the marlies or the leafs it's downtown toronto it's way too far from my my parents place my folks place so uh yeah lived there for two years until i got traded to anaheim and yeah well uh, me and bozy are tight still talk to this day stanley cup champion uh unbelievable person and um is at my wedding and someone i uh you know I'm lucky enough to call a, a friend well, that's awesome. And uh, I guess the one last question I wanted to ask you, um, besides just the level of talent, what were some of the biggest differences that you noticed going from like a, a perennial contender and winning team like Pittsburgh to go to the Maple Leafs when they're in the middle of this this kind of awkward transition where, where Burke comes in and you know brings in Phil and, and is trying to change this team on the fly? Oh, it was different. No, it, it's just like anything. It's like, you know, selling your house and moving, you know, to, into a new house. It's, it's, it's different. Like, it's just, it's always going to be different. I wouldn't say the culture, the mentality was different, but Brian, Brian Burke, Berkey, he had won a cup in, in Anaheim, not, not too long before I, I, uh, I had, he, he had traded for me and I was in, in Toronto with him. So, um, similar mentality. Uh, he liked, uh, he was a real honest guy, a real caring guy. Uh, uh like, the way you would perceive him when you don't know him would be false. He is actually a very caring individual, great guy, always has time for everybody. Um, and just an honest guy, you knew where you, st- you stood and there was no gray area. And that's something I always, you know, really liked about him. And, and like I said, yeah, uh, nothing really different. It's just, like I said, uh, different, you know, you Pittsburgh, we, we had this, uh, they hadn't been in the new rink yet. Uh, it was the old rink melon and, it's kind of it was kind of it was just different it was like like i said moving a, your your house you know the mastercard center in toronto is a brand new facility when i when i'd come and the acc was obviously a lot newer so that would be the biggest differences but as far as mentality or winning culture um, different cultures but like same goals and same um same type of uh, atmosphere so luca last one here uh just a couple minutes before we let you get on your way um Get you, if you don't mind, to maybe put your Leaf hat on uh, for a little bit for our faithful uh, Blue and White listeners. Pretty interesting season uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I know, obviously, you're a busy guy, coaching, practice, family, but I'm, I'm assuming you're able to keep tabs on the team and catch games when you can. Oh, yeah. um, you know, how have you felt uh, about the team from a fan's perspective uh, so far this season with, you know, the, the, the pretty bad uh, first quarter of the season under former coach Mike Babcock and, and then moving into, uh, you know, the new regime under Sheldon Keefe. They, they got shot out of the cannon for a bit, which can be expected when you make a change like that. Uh, but, you know, as of recently, as we talked about earlier on the episode, uh, it's been a bit of a slide. And now with the break uh, encroaching upon the team, they're seeing teams pass them in the standings. And just wondering, uh, you know, how you uh, maybe what you'd wrap the season up halfway through well i i obviously not the, <clears throat> not to start anyone that saw or anyone wanted I, i'm sure and i know that mike babcock's a tireless worker one of the you know brightest minds in hockey i mean 
nothing, no one, I, I don't think anyone saw that coming, you know, uh, the struggles early and, and then uh, Sheldon came in. They they obviously play a much different style, a more puck possession game. They want to control it. They want to have it for longer periods of time. Um, and yeah, they're they're entertaining to watch. I mean, they're a good team. I don't uh, you know they've they've been you know on the back end, especially that they're a little you know they've they've hit the injury bug here a little bit. But um, I think that there's still so much talent on the roster that. And I, I, I could be wrong, but I think they're in the playoff spot today. So um, I, I would say that, you know, probably not where they envisioned the year being at this point. But still, I mean, hockey is, you know, so uh, it's so, uh, you know, the, the way it's gone is is there's a lot of parity and and you just got to get in and anyone has really has a chance. So I think that they'll get in um, and I, I believe that they have the talent to, to make noise. So uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting second half for sure. And as you can imagine, pretty reactionary in terms of uh, Leaf fans, whether it be in Toronto or abroad or out in uh, British Columbia. I mean, you lose a couple of games in a row and the sky's falling on the team. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's the nature of the beast. That's part of the, you know, the makeup of, of being a Toronto sports fan and the, part of the Toronto Maple Leafs in a lot of ways are like, you know, considered uh, the Yankees in the NHL. And uh, like I said, it's just the nature of the beast. But uh, and as I alluded to earlier, I, I don't see um, them not getting in. And I, I do believe that they can make noise. They have a lot of talent. Um, their power plays clicking, you know. Uh, they got some superstars up front, and uh, if you know if they figure out a way to get healthy in the back end, um, and and maybe uh, um, you know uh, Hutchinson can keep going as he was for a little bit there, you know, gives Freddie some rest down the, down the stretch here, then uh, they can make noise. You never know what can happen. You just got to get in. That's true. That's what we've been saying for the last little while. Just make sure you you get into the dance, and then you might be able to go home with the homecoming queen at the end of it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, listen, well, Luca, thanks so much for uh, joining us, man, on the Pucks and D podcast here. Really, uh, really appreciate it. And uh, at the very least, I'm glad we were able to help you remember that third NHL goal. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, uh, great, great time uh, being on here. And I uh, wish you guys nothing but the best and all the success in the world. Right on. Thanks. Same to you, Luca. Yeah, best of luck with the France, buddy. Okay, thanks. See you, fellas. See ya. Thanks. All right, well. Killer. Call over. I mean, what do we even do now? I don't know. <laughs> we, we don't have anything better than what he said. Great, you know, inter- great, you know, all kidding aside, great interview. Um, you know, considering he's a guy who there's not a ton of information out there on him, right? He's a, he had a cup of coffee in the NHL. He played a lot of pro, but uh, it, I, one of the things I love about getting these guys' stories and, and, and one of the things that makes – Spit and Chicklets, which his episode will be dropping soon. So interesting is hearing the different connections that they have with with players that are you know current NHLers, former NHLers. Like you know, before we started looking at him, I didn't know that he was that close with Bissonette and that he lived with Bozak, or yeah. you know the the type of connections that these guys have uh, throughout the NHL. And and talking about the impression that a guy like Dan Balsma had on him, and and how it influenced his coaching career today. Yeah, I already can't wait to listen to that interview as a listener because, as I'm sure you you're aware, like we're working. Yeah, we're working. <laughs> Sometimes it's it's really a weird dynamic. Like he just talked to us for almost an hour 
amazing, by the way. Uh, talked to us for almost an hour, and I already really don't even know what the fuck we talked about. So I can't, I can't wait to go back and actually listen to it because I agree with you, dude. I thought that was really smooth. He was I'm trying really... to listen while teeing up my next questions. And then you forget then your question. Also, and there's also things in amongst the, his stories or, or what he's saying where you're like, something comes up. And you're like, oh, I, Elaborate. I want to touch on that or yeah. you know, pick at that a little bit too. But also trying to tiptoe as well because like you don't want to – you know, you don't want to ask the wrong thing or dig something deeper and that something clearly they want to gloss over or whatever, yeah, true. but we're learning, right? Yeah. I think we're learning on the fly and I was really happy to be able to get his little take on the Leafs there. I didn't want to have him talk about this current state of the Toronto Maple Leafs for 10 fucking minutes. I mean, it was just nice to get his little opinion cause he's a fan uh, at his roots. Uh, you know, he grew up in Toronto. He played for the team. Like he still follows the team. Um, so it was nice to get his take uh, as far as a fan is concerned and a little comforting. Let's go to hear him say that, uh, don't worry about it. I think they're going to get in and they've got, uh, enough, to, enough tools to make some damage in the playoffs. So here's hoping he's right. I think he knows more about hockey than us probably. So take it from Caputi, man. Yeah, Leafs are looking all right. Debatable, <laughs> debatable here on the Pucks and D podcast. So that's yeah, it. What a beauty though. Excellent guest. And, uh, we're very blessed to have had him on. Uh, so shout out to Caputi and, uh, you know, here's the bigger and better things for the Pucks and Deep crew. You got it, my friend. So that's a wrap. Episode 53 is in the books. Thanks for tuning in to the real Pucks and Deep podcast. <laughs> Here in Pembroke, Ontario, Adam Lesko, Josh Coleman. Follow us on Twitter at Lesko Adam, at Coleman42. You can find the podcast station on Twitter at PuckPod. And uh, do us a solid. Like that shit. Share that shit. And subscribe to that shit because the Pucks in D podcast is on the move. Make sure you're in on the ground level when we take off, which is looking like it's well underway. So... Thanks again for joining us here on the Pucks and Deep Podcast. Next week, I believe we're going to have Cody Jacobs back on the program, friend of the show. Cody's going to give us a little bit of a breakdown for Maple Leafs report cards halfway through the season. We're looking forward to it. We'll see you again next week.